Amen. Well, hey, uh, grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 is where we'll be today. And give your attention to the reading of God's Word. So, page 618, um, ver- uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 16. Um, just look at me when you're there, I guess. It's always fun to me. I feel like everybody's there immediately when they say, say this. It's right there. So, all right. When I finish um, reading the scripture this morning, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with praise be to God. Verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice, for he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're just going to dive right in as we are in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. And the year was 1968, and the musical artist Harry Nielsen released his album, Aerial Ballet. And it was a little bit of a flop, and it wasn't that great, but there was one song on there that became incredibly famous by another band uh, a few years later. And that band was called Three Dog Nights. And the name of the song? One. One. And the lyrics go, One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. And two can be as bad as one, but one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Harry Nilsson wrote that song when he tried to call and get a hold of his friend one day, and he got a busy tone. And he was in a moment of crisis in his life. That's why in the beginning of the Three Dog Night version, it's that bump, 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 bump. It sounds like a dial tone, a busy tone from a phone. And when Harry realized that he didn't have access to somebody that he wanted to speak to, he felt extremely alone, and he wrote the lyrics to that song. That is the thrust of the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Solomon says, woe to the man who is alone. And and we've said that that Ecclesiastes is almost like a Bible commentary on Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Solomon talks about this longing in the human heart, how, how we should be living a certain way, but we're not, and then the problem with humanity. And, and today is no more blatant of a commentary on Genesis chapter 3 than chapter 4, 
Because when we realize and look back at the beginning of creation, God says that everything he made was good. Genesis 1 and 2 has a rhythm. And God said, and it was good. And God said, and it was good. And God said, and it was good. And then he creates the first man in his image and likeness. And the only time, the only time that God says in all of his creation that something is not good is in Genesis chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And see, what's interesting is a lot of people think that Adam wasn't perfect yet. That's why God needed to create a helper fit for him. But actually, it's the reverse. Adam was perfect. And because he was perfect, he needed somebody to live life with. This is what theologians call the imago Dei, the image of God. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in this great mystery. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. You see, the one could not reflect the plurality of who God is. And what's interesting about this is, let's say that you're not a Bible believer. Let's say that you're not a non-Christian. You got some arguments because you watched a three-minute YouTube video of a guy living in his mom's basement about how the Bible's not real, and now you're real smart, okay? Um, the cool thing about this is this is a truth that you can't deny, that loneliness is an issue, especially today in 2019, um, social media and this, that, and the other, we have more connections ever than in the history of humanity, but depression and loneliness are the highest that they've ever been. One of the first questions for a mental health evaluation is, do you have any friends? It's one of the very first questions. Do you have any friends? Do you have anyone to talk to? And that's what Solomon is talking about. He's the wisest man that's ever lived. And, and he's sort of surveying life. And he's saying, here's what's good and here's what's not good. And here's what I've really found in my old age, what is extremely important in life. And for us as Christians, on this side of the cross, we understand that, that God is creating sort of like a new humanity, like a new people. Eugene Peterson said that the church is a colony of heaven in the country of death, meaning that Christians live life together as a family. But there's a problem with that. And you're the problem. And I'm the problem. Why? Because people got problems, bro, right? <laughs> So it's difficult to sort of live life with people. We know that this truth is true. We know that, that, that we should be living life in community together and doing that, and even more so when it comes to being a Christian, that you can't be alone. and be a, you, you, you can't obey 90% of the New Testament alone. You, you can't do that. And I love what Charles Spurgeon spoke to his church. Charles Spurgeon said these words in 1891. In the next place, follow this example and give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hoped that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I have never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should have never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I would have ruined it. 
For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, it is the most dearest place on earth to us. Oh, though he is dead, he still speaks, right? And, and, and he's honest about the rub. He's honest about it's difficult to live life with people. But here's, here's the big idea. Here's what Solomon's saying. Life is better when we live life together. I mean, he very clearly says in verse 9, two are better than one. He's doing sort of an Old Testament uh, compare and contrast. This is better than this. But here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is honest, like really brutally honest. And it's honest about the human condition, and it's honest as to why these things are difficult. And Solomon, in this chapter, looks at different types of people. And he says, oh, that's tough. Ooh, loving that person is going to be difficult, right? But then he talks about the benefits of friendship. So, so, so we're going to look at the barriers to friendship. This is why this is hard. This is the human condition. But this is why it's better to still do that. Life is better when we live life together. And so what are some of the barriers to friendship? The first one that Solomon says is this, is envy. Look in verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. Remember, we learned that vanity means sort of fleeting. It's like trying to catch smoke, right? It's, it's there, but, but I can't. I can't grasp this. And he says, you know what's difficult with people? Is oftentimes, sometimes people are just working and pursuing and even having friends actually to spite their friends. He says even their motivation in their life and the reason why they're doing what they're doing and the reason why they're even trying to have friends is because they are envious of their friends. And what we think envy is, is wanting what somebody else has, which is true. That's envy. So you make friends and then you find out, oh, wow, they were born with a silver spoon in their hand and they invite you over to their house and the whole time you're at their house, you're like, well, I don't have a lean-to on my shed. <laughs> right? I'm talking Butler County language today, okay? Right? That's a nice shop you got, buddy, right? It's not just, listen, it's not just wanting what somebody else had. Listen, it's resenting what somebody else has. And that, my friends, is a very evil place to be. And it's not just possessions. It can also just be life in general. Well, I see that they have a lot of friends. I see that they're younger. I see this. I see that. I see this. That is envy. And listen, that will constantly be a barrier to friendship. Because you can never be transparent and you can never open up when actually you're desiring someone else's life. Envy is a barrier to friendship. The second one is this, laziness. And all of God's people said, amen. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. little cannibalism here in verse 5, that's fun. The fool folds his hands. So Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, he also wrote Proverbs. When you study Proverbs, and you can do this on your own, anytime the folding of the hands is mentioned, that's a reference to sleep and to slumber and to laziness. Remember the one proverb about the ant and the grasshopper? 
right? The grasshopper folds his hands in the summer while the ant works diligently and then winter comes along and who has food? The ant, not the grasshopper, right? You're like, I thought that was in a kid's book. No, it's in the Bible, right? Okay. So that's, that's an, what, what he's talking about is this idea of, of laziness. And this is a human condition that we see even in society. That, listen to me. The majority of people want to consume and not contribute. It's also difficulty in marriage. That you've got 20 things that your spouse could do better, but your list is not nah, maybe one or two. And what that is, is that's an idea, that's a mental aspect of putting it off and the responsibility on other people. And so oftentimes, and what makes this difficult in relationships is when somebody asks you to then do something because we are so emotionally soft nowadays, it's unbelievable to me. In 2019, grown adults who have the emotional stability of a four-year-old, right? And then when you ask someone, hey, can you help contribute? (laughs) 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 Well, that's our last community group we're going to. Because they asked me to host, right? And Solomon's saying, hey, 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 listen, Uh, you know, a long time ago, this was written a long time ago, and buddy, the human conditions really improved since then, right? Envy, laziness, and then how about this? Greed, verse 8, one person who has no other, either son or brother, Yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Never satisfied. So this type of person who is consumed with greed is a barrier to friendship, and here's why. This person, show me this person, and I will show you the list of friends that they have burned through. Why? Because when you're a greedy person, people give you profit. And you are a means to get me to an end. And when I get to that end, I no longer need you anymore. So in this season of life, oh, oh, I got to get here. I got to do that. Well, I know this person. They have this connection, right? I mean, it's like LinkedIn, right? I mean, I get an email for LinkedIn every day, which is this sort of internet thing that you can see who other people are linked to. And this person, this guy's a gardener, but he does pools for Beyonce's friend. And then I'm friends with Beyonce. That's incredible, right? And it's this idea that people are a path to get what I want. And so greed is not just this idea of possessions and not being satisfied. Greed is also seen in our relationships. And they're never long-lasting because once you've gotten what you want out of someone, it's now no longer a relationship. And Solomon says the eyes are never satisfied. Which is funny, in Genesis 3, after Eve had spoken with the enemy, she had already seen the tree. God showed her the tree and said, hey, this is mine. Don't do that. Okay, great, awesome. You created everything else. You're pretty cool. You're God. I'll believe that. Then the enemy comes along and says, no, you didn't look at the tree. Then it says, when she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. There's something about a desire a desire, that, that when you have a deep desire to get somewhere and whoever is in your path will either benefit you getting there or is a barrier, 
people then become commodities and not actual people. And I don't know if there's anything so brutal in the world as having been filled, feel like that you've been used. And Solomon says that's going to be a barrier to friendship. Envy, laziness, greed. It's like I'm reading off the dirty dozen here. Verse 10, isolation. Look at, look, look at verse 10. For woe if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone. Underline this word in your ESV scripture journal or your neighbor's Bible if they're asleep. But woe to him who is alone when, when, when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Interesting. Look at verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. If and when. If and when. Solomon says, um, when there are two people, if someone falls, and we're going to talk about the benefits of guardrails in just a minute. If someone falls, there's somebody there to help them up. But someone who is alone, when they fall. When they fall. You see, isolation is something that is actually our natural response to any difficulty in our life. In Genesis 3, whenever they disobeyed God and wanted to be God, our first parents, Adam and Eve, what was the first thing they did when they heard God's voice? They hid. And they hid in the trees from the God who made the trees, right? It's like a little baby playing hide-and-go-seek laid in the middle of the floor, right? One, two, right? Because sin, you make dumb decisions when it comes to that. And so what they do, they isolated themselves. And God says, Adam, where are you? That's not a question as if God didn't know. He's, he's, it's really an, almost a, a statement. Where are you at? They isolated themselves. That is our natural human response. That, listen, shame is what isolates you. Shame and guilt. Any of you who, who have pets and who have the right pet, meaning a dog, that when you come home... Um, I mean, that's the difference in a dog and a cat, right? I mean, when you come home, the dog is pumped, pumped that you're home, right? And the cat looks at you like, why are you in my house? Why are you back, right? But have you ever come home and your dog not met you at the door? And you're like, all right, you get the back room, you get the hall, like, all right? And then you find what's happened, right? Why? That's like shame, almost. And any time that we fall in temptation and shame and guilt cover us, we isolate from community. And isolation is one of the key tactics of the enemy. Because listen to me, when he can get you alone, he can get you to believe anything. Anything. Nobody lies to you more than you do. And so when you're alone, you have no other voices. You have nothing else coming in and speaking and doing any of that. And it says, when you fall. This is something that we're trying to incorporate in our parenting and our house. We're not into banishing our kids from our presence when they make a mistake. Because then when they turn 16 and they do something wrong and they don't come to you and parents are like, why didn't you come and tell me? Well, because when I was four and I did something wrong, you told me to go away. And what does the cross do? The cross reconciles us back to God. That sin separates, but the gospel brings us back together. Isolation is a barrier to friendship. But then the last one is this, and it encompasses it all. Pride. Verse 13. Better was a poor and wise youth 
than an old and foolish king. Solomon, why was he foolish who no longer knew how to take advice? Pride. Augustine said, For pride is the mother of all sins, for she is pregnant with all the rest. Every issue results from pride. Every issue. Greed, isolation, any of that stuff, all, right? We can't spell pride without what's in the middle? I. And any time that that happens, any time, if you're the person or if you do not have somebody in your life that can sit down over a cup of coffee or a meal with you and say, listen, I am concerned for you, and if you keep walking down this path, this will end in destruction. And if your constant response to that is conflict and to buck against that, you are a prideful individual. And your relationships will only go so far. And so really when it comes down to it, there are two types of people in this room today. There are people who are setting these barriers in their life. And then there are people who are trying to climb over these barriers. That's it. That's it. If you see these barriers in your life, that's the reason why your life is this cyclical thing that keeps happening. It's, you know, crisis, then I enter into community, then I get what I want, and then I isolate for a while, then crisis, then I enter into community, then I get what I want, then I isolate. And it's just this merry-go-round that happens. But here's what, here's what else I love about the Bible is, is that it gives us just great practical advice. Solomon writes this later on in Proverbs. He says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. That's great. Solomon, I don't have any friends. Yeah, because you're mean. (laughs) I thought we were in deep theology in the Bible, brother, right? One who has friends must show himself friendly. So I thought this would be great. Okay, I'm going to leave my Bible over here. My Bible's here, okay? Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of pastoral advice as to how to make friends, okay? Let's just pretend we're in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood today, all right? How do we make friends? The first step is this. Be yourself. Just be yourself. It's okay. You're weird. I'm weird too. Everybody's weird. Everybody's got their thing. Just be yourself, right? We don't need an Instagram version of you, all right? Just be who you are. It's okay. You're weird. I'm weird. Everybody's weird, all right? Be yourself. And then, and, and then here's the second step. You ready? Be yourself and then this. Get over yourself. That's it. Two steps. How to make friends. Be yourself and then get over yourself. Because look up here, look up here. You're not that awesome. (laughs) Neither am I. It's not about you. Every time that you go to community group or you serve or you do this or you see or you come in and, oh my gosh, they didn't say hi to me today. And is it because we had the one conversation and me? It's not about you. Life is not about you. And listen, when you understand that truth, it is like a thousand pound weight has been lifted off of you. You can breathe again and you find freedom because life is better when we live life together. And there's barriers to that. But the benefits outweigh the barriers. What are some of the benefits of living life together? Well, the first thing is this. The benefits of living life together. You get better results in your work. Look in verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. 
that's just right there in verse 9. It just says what we said, right? It's crazy, right? Toil means work and labor. So it's not just um, like this is common knowledge. Um, two people digging a hole can dig a hole faster than one person, right? We're deep in rocket science right now, okay? But what else is toil? How about your marriage, right? It takes work, parenting, growing in Christ. And what Solomon is saying is when you invite people into that, I mean, just to be fully transparent with you, just this week, me and my wife sat down with some dear friends, and we had to hash some stuff out, Right? Your pastor don't wear no cape, okay, all right? I can get crazy, all right? So can my wife, but so can I, all right? (laughs) We're on good terms, so I can say that right now, okay? And we needed people to sit down. We needed people to sit down with us and go, don't say that. You're prideful. Hush. Say this. Don't say this. Do this. Because why? Because we were at a point where we needed other people in, We needed to invite other people in on that. And guess what? We left different than when we came in because more people are better for that. You get a better result in your parenting, in life, and in all of that. The second benefit is this, that you have help in a time of need. I've already showed you the compare and contrast. Verse 10, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. Solomon is alluding to something almost like if there's two, there's more guardrails. If there's one, temptation is going to happen and you're going to fall to it constantly. But like we're all, like I'm two steps away from stupid every day of my life. And I need somebody saying, whoa, hey, if you continue down that path, that's, that's going to lead to a dangerous place. And here's what we need to know. That's friendship. That's biblical friendship. Is that it takes work and it's motivated out of love. Biblical friendship is not liking somebody's Facebook status and now they're my friend. It is somebody who loves you enough to say, hey, be careful. It offers protection in that moment. So you get a better result in your work. You have help in a time of need. And then this, warmth when you're left out in the cold. Verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? This is sort of um, ancient proverbial you know, wisdom that, that Solomon's talking about. Most commentators believe that it talks about marriage, which is true. I think it has some application there. But also in ancient times, if you were a traveler and you were alone, Even in the desert at night, it would get below freezing. And so if you have someone there, you are not left out in the cold. You can stay warm together. And sometimes in our life, when we fall, but by the grace of God that doesn't define us, you know that, right? You know that you're not your past mistakes, right? That in Christ, that that the old things have passed away and that the new has come. And that we need friends in our life that will vouch for us. That you've fallen, that you've made the mistake, that you've failed, and you were left out in the cold. But you have a friend that can step in and say, yeah, we've been walking through this together. And there's fruit of repentance here. And there is a warmth that comes with that, that, that the world cannot offer you. So you get a better result in your work 
warmth when you're left out in the cold, help in a time of need. And then this last one, partnership in the fight. Verse 12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And the threefold cord is not easily broken. I read this at weddings all the time. And it said sometimes of lighting the unity candle, which is a symbolism of a diversity becoming a unity. Oftentimes they will braid a rope. And there's practical implications that a one-strand rope can only hold so much, a two-strand can hold more, and a three-strand can hold three times more than one. But it's also the idea that when you're in the fight of your life and you feel like that you can't get out of bed this morning, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, to have somebody there with you to help you fight this thing called life, that you have to have a partner with that. And so the big idea is very simple here today, is that life is better when we live life together. But the great thing about this is, is that friendship has to start somewhere. And it doesn't just start with us. It starts with the gospel, Right? We say this every week. That's always the motivation. For we were sinners and we were far away from God in isolation. But in and through the greatest friend, Jesus Christ, Jesus reconciles us and brings us back to God. Jesus says this in John 15, and I'll close with these words. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. And if you do what I've commanded you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, that, you may, that my Father may give it to you. These things I have commanded you, so that you will love one another as I have loved you. You know what's interesting is Solomon writes this chapter on friendship in chapter 4 after the, after the chapter 3 about time. I find that very interesting. He talks about time and then he talks about friendship. And I think a lot of us think that friendship is like a microwave. Boop, 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 punch it in, boom, hot and ready to go. But in reality, friendship's not like a microwave. It's more like a crock pot. It takes time. And so I'm begging you today not to hit the eject button on the relationships in your life and becoming involved. There's just a few questions that I have for you. The first one is this. Are you connected to your church family? Very simple question. I mean, every week, the connection card, it's crazy that we have something called that. It's like we want you to get connected, right? Are you connected? That's on you. That's your responsibility. The second thing is this. Who are you a friend to? I think oftentimes we sit around and we say, I don't have friends and I don't have this in my life. But in reality, what Solomon said, he who has friends must show himself friendly. Who are you a friend to? Who are you there for in the time of need? Who do you know that is left out in the cold that you can bring them in and have warmth? Who do you know that needs help, that needs work, that needs a partner in the fight? Get in with that. Be a friend. And then lastly this, and please know this, that only Jesus is the perfect friend. Only Jesus. Don't idolize friendship. 
It will not complete you. Jesus does. But friendship is the fruit of the relationship with Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful. Grateful while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grateful while we were in isolation and separated from you that Jesus Christ bought us and brought us back. God, I pray for each and every person in this room today, those of us who are setting barriers to friendship, we don't want people to get close because the reality and the truth is this, is if they really know us, then they really won't love us. If they really know who I am and how horrible my thoughts are, then they will never love me, and that's a lie. And the beauty of the gospel is that we are fully known and that we are fully loved at the same time. God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would urge and that you would push people to make connections. That friendships would be birthed, not microwavable friendships, but friendships that marinate over long periods of time. Because we know this to be true, that life is better when we live life together. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and respond in communion today?